0: Section 13 of the Thirty Thousand Dollar Bequest and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Thirty Thousand Dollar Bequest and Other Stories by Mark Twain. Section 13 The First Writing Machines. From my unpublished autobiography. Some days ago, a correspondent sent in an old typewritten sheet, faded by age, containing the following letter over the signature of Mark Twain. Hartford, March 10, 1875. Please do not use my name in any way. Please do not even divulge the fact that I own a machine. I have entirely stopped using the typewriter, for the reason that I never could write a letter with it to anybody without receiving a request by return mail, that I would not only describe the machine, but state what progress I had made in the use of it, etc., etc. I don't like to write letters, and so I don't want people to know I own this curiosity-breeding little joker. A note was sent to Mr. Clemens asking him if the letter was genuine, and whether he really had a typewriter as long ago as that. Mr. Clemens replied that his best answer is the following chapter from his unpublished autobiography. 1904, Villa Quarto, Florence, January. Dictating autobiography to a typewriter is a new experience for me, but it goes very well, and is going to save time and language, the kind of language that sues vexation. I have dictated to a typewriter before, but not autobiography. Between that experience and the present one, there lies a mighty gap, more than thirty years. It is sort of lifetime. In that wide interval, much has happened, to the type machine as well as to the rest of us. At the beginning of that interval, a type machine was a curiosity. The person who owned one was a curiosity, too. But now it is the other way about. A person who doesn't own one is a curiosity i saw a type machine for the first time in what year i suppose it was eighteen seventy three because nasby was with me at the time and it was in boston we must have been lecturing or we could not have been in boston i take it i quitted the platform that season but never mind about that it is no matter nasby and i saw the machine through a window and went in to look at it the salesman explained it to us showed us samples of its work and said it could do fifty-seven words a minute, a statement which we frankly confessed that we did not believe. So he put his type girl to work, and we timed her by the watch. She actually did the fifty-seven in sixty seconds. We were partly convinced, but said it probably couldn't happen again. But it did. We timed the girl over and over again, with the same result always. She won out. She did her work on narrow slips of paper, and we pocketed them as fast as she turned them out to show his curiosities. The price of the machine was one hundred and twenty-five dollars. I bought one, and we went away very much excited. At the hotel we got our slips and were a little disappointed to find that they contained the same words. The girl had economized time and labor by using a formula which she knew by heart. However, we argued safely enough, that the first type girl must naturally take rank with the first billiard player neither of them could be expected to get out of the game any more than a third or a half of what was in it if the machine survived if it survived experts would come to the front by and by who would double the girl's output without a doubt they would do one hundred words a minute my talking speed on the platform that score has long ago been beaten At home I played with the toy, repeated and repeating and repeated. The boy stood on the burning deck until I could turn that boy's adventure out at the rate of twelve words a minute. Then I resumed the pen for business and only worked the machine to astonish inquiring visitors. They carried off many reams of the boy and his burning deck. By and by I hired a young woman and did my first dictating, letters merely, and my last until now. The machine did not do both capitals and lower-case, as now, but only capitals. Gothic capitals they were, and sufficiently ugly. I remember the first letter I dictated, it was to Edward Bach, who was a boy then. I was not acquainted with him at that time. His present enterprising spirit is not new, he had it in that early day. He was accumulating autographs, and was not content with mere signatures. He wanted a whole autograph letter. I furnished it in typewritten capitals, signature and all. It was long. It was a sermon. It contained advice, also reproaches. I said writing was my trade, my bread and butter. I said it was not fair to ask a man to give away samples of his trade. Would he ask the blacksmith for a horseshoe? Would he ask the doctor for a corpse? now i come to an important matter as i regard it in the year seventy four the young woman copied a considerable part of a book of mine on the machine in a previous chapter of this autobiography i have claimed that i was the first person in the world that ever had a telephone in the house for practical purposes i now claim until dispossessed that i was the first person in the world to apply the type machine to literature that book must have been the adventures of tom sawyer i wrote the first half of it in seventy two the rest of it in seventy four my machinist type copied a book for me in seventy four so i concluded it was that one that early machine was full of caprices full of defects devilish ones it had as many immoralities as the machine of today has virtues after a year or two i found that it was degrading my character so I thought I would give it to Howells. He was reluctant, for he was suspicious of novelties and unfriendly toward them, and he remains so to this day. But I persuaded him. He had great confidence in me, and I got him to believe things about the machine that I did not believe myself. He took it home to Boston, and my morals began to improve, but his have never recovered. He kept it six months and then returned it to me, I gave it away twice after that, but it wouldn't stay. It came back. Then I gave it to our coachman, Patrick McAleer, who was very grateful because he did not know the animal and thought I was trying to make him wiser and better. As soon as he got wiser and better, he traded it to a heretic for a side saddle which he could not use, and there my knowledge of its history ends. End of section thirteen. Recording by Tricia G.